I believe. Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before, and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Coming to you live on tape from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high-rise in beautiful Beverly Hills, adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign, this is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me once again this week, Mark McGrath, the singer of Sugar Ray and the host of Mark McGrath's 120, heard weekends on the 90s on 9 right here on Sirius XM. Hello, welcome back, and Happy New Year. Brother Tully, Happy New Year. Thank you so much for having me back, man. What a pleasure. You know that, that song, the opening song? Yes. Uh, very much reminiscent at the beginning of the middle, Jimmy Eat World. Now, I know that is a Tully composition. Now, I see your face just go on the floor and sulk and just bummer. Why? Just like a, a, like a yeah. six-inch... Dagger like a shot to the just gut. underneath the sternum, and then just wiggled <laughs> back and forth ever ever so slightly, left and back. Now, why kind is of po- that? Poking and stabbing the guts at the same time. Now, I did I not mean know. to I have that effect. It was more of a uh, um, adm- admiration. Thank you. Just a dung 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 dung. I the, get it. The, the, I, I get it. I, but then I, when it starts, the meat of it is is definitely not. I, I wouldn't have thought of that. No, I'm not a. I'm not offended. Um, I think. Uh, it, something about that song that bothered me at the time was simply that I was trying to make my own way in music mm-hmm. and I couldn't believe somebody could get away with something so simple and have it be such a hit song because I was so now, proud. Now, why, why would you think that in this day and age where three chords and the truth are pretty much what the elements are? So we just went from the, I'm going to guess we went from the D to the C to the G. Right. I just well, felt like those three chords, man. Yeah. Okay, I felt like this is the honest truth. I felt like I could write that in my sleep, but I would wouldn't even bother recording it because I'm like, yeah, that's been done 17 trillion times. I can, you know, whatever a kid could do that. And, so you have ethics as a musician. What's that like? No, okay. Do you know what? <laughs> this is. Oh wow, you just reminded me of something I was thinking about last night that I wanted to ask you about yeah. that I forgot about until now. No, it, that sounds like Sour Grapes. It's not. They're they're a cool band. And actually, like the follow-up, Sweetness. It's, one of, it's a yeah. great... It's better than the middle, I think. It's way yeah. better than the middle, yeah. That is not a song I've heard a million times and not a song I ever th- thought of writing. And I all do respect to Jimmy Eat World. I just thought that, you know, whatever. I, like, it takes so much time and energy. When people talk about selling out, they always go, oh, it's just, you know, so easy. You just make some some shit, you know, and, and throw it out there. And I'm like, you know, it's it's not as easy because it might not hit. But also, do you know how much time and effort goes into writing a song and recording a song and mixing a song and mastering a song and then getting the label excited about it and then releasing it and then going around all the radio stations and then touring the thing? And if you're successful, you just get to play that piece of shit for the next 25 years. <laughs> So in my experience, that sellout piece of shit is probably something that the artist holds near and dear to their heart. They maybe have simpler taste than you do, you know, um, and think that they've done something original. So I, I guess you must know bands who are not in love. Also, I think very often bands hit with songs that aren't their personal favorite songs. It's a weird quirk. It's always right. like the song that was going to get left off the album You or hear something. that? We did it in five minutes and we fought to keep it on the record and the label made us. You know what I mean? It turns out to be the biggest hit it's ama- I was just reading about, because I enjoy the song um, Goonies Are Good Enough. <laughs> yeah. 
Of course you do. <laughs> by Cindy Lauper. That's awesome. <laughs> it's a great little song. Well, she's so talented as a singer. So. She hates it. Yeah. And, and never put it. She on. never plays it either. It, uh, she, I guess, has started a little bit more recently because people beg her for it. And I think it's a great. I think it's a great song. Yeah. I, I guess I can see her point of view. I, well, I mean, Vanilla Ice didn't perform Ice Ice Baby yeah. for twenty years. He had this hate of the song. The, 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 I guess the question that I always have about that phenomenon is: I get if you don't think it's as good as your great songs, but everybody's got a bunch of shitty songs. Like, oh, Cindy Lauper's got a whole. Go, go listen to She's So Unusual or, or the album after the album after that. I'm sure there's some clunkers on it, and I just don't understand why she would stand by some of the other clunkers and say, if you want to say it's not as good as Time After Time. I might disagree, but right, but that you're, right. you're entitled to that opinion. Um, I don't. It sounds like that that was a, a label-driven, movie-driven song. She was yeah. meant to describe. Nothing to do with the songwriting. She actually is the primary songwriter. She, well, on then, it. then that's different. Which then. shocked me because that's, that's what I thought. Me. Yeah, that's, yeah. That, that's exactly. That's that was the, the well, first now place I'm I went my, with Now that. I've got nothing for you. Yeah. Right. Now, now I, I know. Especially it like I've never understood like bands like Pearl Jam or Smashing Pumpkins that have these gigantic hit songs in their back pocket mm-hmm. and don't perform them live. Yeah. Now I'm a different uh, type of performer. I need you to love me. So I'll play Fly 10 times in a row if I have to. You, you know, I mean... It's... I remember when Death, Death, Die performed at the Roxy and we were going to surprise you with it and uh, we thought that you were going to be like, oh, fuck, come on, man, really? And you <laughs> oh, I embraced that whole... I ruined beat. the joke because I was so into it. <laughs> <laughs> but I've always admired that that quality of like, I'm so pure in my musical like ethics and, and morals that I won't stray from what I want to do on stage. Neil Young has done that his whole life. Yeah. You know, Van Morrison will just give you a, the finger while he's performing. <laughs> Yeah. Right. I think he's like, playing Moondance. Is that Moondance? Yeah. <laughs> My wife is, she loves Van Morrison. You know, I saw him 10 years ago and I go, I'm never paying again. I'm just done. I've, I've heard I've, bad I've, things. Yeah. And and now he's coming again around the world turn and tickets like a thousand bucks a piece. And of course I have to go because, you know, it's, I got to keep my my house 72 and sunny. Yeah. So it, it, but it's just, I admire artists like that that just can sit on this catalog because I, the songs like Fly and Every Morning and Someday that were big hits for us, I enjoy playing them live. The audience elevates, they levitate when these songs are played. So it's mm-hmm. hard for me not to give the audience what they want. Now, now I know that's blasphemy to many musicians, but that's not how I came up. Because I don't mm-hmm. consider myself a musician first. I consider myself a fan first. Mm-hmm. And that's how I kind of approach the performance end. But obviously someone like Cindy Lauper or Neil Young, they're on they're on a whole different trip. And I respect that as well. So my question is this. You must know people, and I'm certainly not asking you to name names, but you must know people who are lukewarm or even actively resent um, their hit song or one of their hit songs. I know a band very well, and I'll, I'll say it right now, Crazy Town. Now, Crazy Town was a band that had a huge hit with a song called Butterfly. Yeah. It was number one around the world. Gigantic song and an anomaly towards what the rest of what Crazy Town was doing. They were sort of a new metal type band, but they they fell upon this hit. Uh, uh, Butterfly. Uh, uh, come, come, lady, lady, come, 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 yeah. come, come, lady. Uh, and much like Fly on Floor, it was the, and nothing sounded like it on the rest of the record. I remember seeing it at the Roxy when their follow-up record came out, and they said, all right, let's just get this out of the way. Mm-hmm. They came on stage and he goes, let's just get this out of the railway right now for those you don't want to stay for the rest of the show. And they played Butterfly first. I've seen bands do that. Talk about complete disdain for the reason why 95% of the people are there. So that yeah. that was an interesting thing. And guess what? They got what they asked for. Everybody left, people, yeah. People you know, slowly filtered out as they saw that, that, that was, that's what was happening. Uh, yeah. But then it's and not... I love those guys. I know Shifty and I know yeah. Epic and they're, they're great guys. I just thought that was an interesting way to play 
your your one hit. It I've was heard, like they, I've heard of the Pumpkins doing that. I remember the Cardigans did that when I saw them when they were having their love full. Yeah, yeah. They played it like fourth or fifth, just sort of like Harry. We know why you're here. Did they mention? I mean, crazy how another way to mention this is it. We know why you're here. So if you're not here for our real stuff, you know, get out of here. We're gonna play it early. No, they didn't do that. I've heard of Smashing Pumpkins. I've never seen them play, but I had a friend who saw them play who said that he came out and said I think it was the end of a festival and they were the headliner and he's mm-hmm. like, we're gonna do a half hour of every song this would have been probably melancholy era okay we're gonna do all the songs that you guys know first and if you feel like leaving we're gonna play two hours after that that sounds like the billy corgan of of the 90s you know the billy corgan i know now is all about pleasing the audience i mean Mm -hmm. the three-hour show reunion tour was amazing top to bottom all the hits cool giant production great so but hey man to each his own Mm -hmm. i mean to whatever you know i i just think we have disdain for the audience that's Mm -hmm. when you lose me yeah i've never understood that now i don't care how you present your song maybe you're like i don't want to play the hits today or i'm gonna perform this set this is what i'm to i get it but like Having a vitriol towards the audience and people are there, that I've never understood. No, 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 no. I'm old school like that. I always think about, you know, you, you think of the, you know, we remember Tony Bennett or, you know, Frank Sinatra, obviously, are legendary people. But the the crooners one or two steps down from that who would just like, if they got the one hit, just meant, I'm in the game forever, baby. <laughs> oh, I can play the sand. I, I can open for Frank at the sands anytime. Right. You know, like I saw, was his name? Uh, Stephen Eadies of the like world. Like Lou Christie. The oh. lightning strike me again. Yeah, nice one. And those guys. You like, saw him live? I saw him open for Frankie Valley oh, And the quote-unquote four seasons who were like Ooh. collectively or 75 years 69 old. 69 different seasons, you know, anybody but the four seasons. They were like, it was, That's, uh, that it, must was have like been... it was like 98 degrees is like stunt doubles <laughs> being called the four seasons. <laughs> but, but can I ask, was that Lightning Strikes written by Frankie Valli or, or, uh, oh, or, or the prime songwriter of the four seasons? I can't remember his name. You saw, you saw Jersey Boys, right? No, I did not. I uh, lived it. No, I, I didn't. Point. I'm not a theater guy. Yeah. At all. Jersey Boys, a fascinating story. And you know who put cool. you know who put Frankie Valley with the Four Seasons? I have no idea. Joe Pesci. True story. No no BS, no weirdness, no mm-hmm. revisionist history. Joe Pesci introduced Frankie Valley to the Four Seasons. I had no idea. I was talking about Joe Pesci in this room just a couple of weeks ago. In what I'm, capacity? I know he's from North Newark because I used to live a town away in New Jersey. Uh-huh. And when you'd go into like shitty diners and stuff, there'd be signed pictures of Joe Pesci. Right, 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 right. It's like right. North Newark it's is legend, Joe Pesci's yeah, town. of course. And I know that my mom went to a pizzeria that actually is attached to a bar that my dad later owned, which is a whole other random story. And... Um, Everybody's freaking out and going, do you know who that is eating pizza in the corner? That's the Four Lovers. Ah. Which is, I think, the Four Seasons before the, the yes, Four Seasons. Yes, that's indeed. That's so she was it, eating at, a, at a, a pizza pie in a pizza parlor in Kearney, New Jersey <laughs> with Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. I love that story. But Well, I mean, even more so you should see... Jersey Boys, because yeah. they talk about the four lovers, and it's just the whole story. I think you'd get into it. Yeah. Some reason you're fighting I, I, against watching the movie. I just don't really. Oh, it's a movie. Okay, because yeah, because Clint, Clint Eastwood directed. It's actually. Really oh, well that's right. Yeah, I just don't really care for. I don't. I don't understand why everybody. Like the musicalization of stuff. Some stuff lends itself to it more than others. Like the Green Day one. 
Well, take the music I out love, of it. I it's, love Green Day so much, I'm going to watch a, it performed in the style of Rent. For some reason, I didn't want to see that, and I've never seen that. Yeah. That's just my own personal inclination. But the Jersey Boy thing is incredible story. It's yeah. Goodfella-esque. I mean, the music is almost secondary. The music obviously drives what's happening, but the story is so unbelievable, especially the Joe Pesci connection. It's just so. Watch Jersey Boys. Do okay. me a favor. Next time we're talking, you can punch me in the face if you don't like it. But a quick, a quick follow-up on the bands playing the song that they don't want oh, to yeah, play yeah, yeah. like what about the band that doesn't telegraph their disdain and i guess i'm even thinking of the band that isn't solely dependent on that like they had four what band, like what band are you you thinking of uh just for instance hypothetically uh, oh okay hypothetically i don't know like gin blossoms fucking hate hate jealousy right but they're cool with their their, their other shitty hits right you know <laughs> Is it enjoyable? Because I just I'm assuming people would be talking about this backstage. Is it enjoyable? Is it enough for the fans to get off on a song that you don't like to sustain your enthusiasm in playing the song that you don't like for 20 years? Or are you just like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Yeah, that that's an interesting thing, and it's so subjective. It's impossible for mm-hmm. me to speak on every band. You know, it, it's impossible. I just what, what the gossip mill is at craft services? Yeah, I I think we all know we need to play these songs. I yeah. gladly play them. Yeah. I, and by the way, our our sets elevate because. Let's, let's be honest. We have four songs that are, are a lot better than some of our other songs. I mean, that's also subjective. But um, for, for me, that's what I get off on. But maybe some of those, those bands don't. But, I, I you know, I, what always confused me, like when Sting did like, you know, I'm going to do the jazz interpretation of da-do-do-da-da-da-da. You know, that, that always confused me. Yeah. I'm so bored of this song, and F you for liking it. I'm going to do a jazz interpretation of this thing. I think you just have to... Really telegraph and advertise the fuck out of doing that. I wonder why more bands don't. I, I know it's just the economics and stuff, but like, say, okay, we're gonna come to town and we're gonna do two nights at the barn, you know, the local mm-hmm. barn of all the hits, and then we're gonna play the theater one step down. And there is no fucking way you're gonna hear a song that a casual fan knows, and that's like two for you, one for us. That seems like it would be a really fun way to tour. The we'll problem do, with we'll that, we'll do it, covers, we'll do whatever the fuck we feel like. The economics won't make sense now, because yeah, now right. you're going into the normal dome to play your hits, then you're going to something else just to play the stuff you want to hear. Now, at the end of the day, everybody's about that, you know, the the financial end of this thing. Yeah, especially bands that have been around for a while. You know, I mean. Rarely, even bands as big as the Stones and stuff don't want to say an extra day because they're, they're, you know, they're spending a million bucks a day on crew, trucks, and all that yeah. just to appease themselves. Yeah, they'll just go to Mix Castle and go there and play their acoustic songs and stare at themselves. You know, um, <laughs> so you know, there's just a there, there, there's economics in play. There's so many things in play. You yeah. know, um, obviously there's a reason. I think if you are going to work, and I'm calling being in a band to work, which it, which it isn't, with all due respect to people who actually have real jobs, uh, and, and you don't sort of perform your job. Your job is to play these hits. And if that's a job, well, then, you know, you might not, you might want to rethink being in a band. That's why bands like us, Smash Mouth and people, you know, we've talked about this before. People always go like, uh, how come your band can't just stay together? You know, how can you know? Uh, well, how many people out there are still working with the same people they started working with when they were 21? Mm-hmm. Maybe zero of you. That's the reason why personalities you move on and like people that are doing it now are, are, are at my level you know the smash mouse of the world the everclears we're doing because we love doing it you know it's also it's our job as well but we also love doing it um and they have something to be in consideration now how you love it or why you love it is is subjective too but um it, it, there is definitely a job component of it tully but when you play the hit songs it makes it worthwhile and i always say they don't pay us to perform they pay me to travel right 
you know, I've got two little kids at home and, and, you know, and they're a handful. So, you know, you're going to pay me to travel to Cincinnati. I'll mm-hmm. perform for free, but this is what it costs to get me there. Yeah, I get that. Okay. Well, that's a good segue. Um, there's a reason why I brought you here today, Mark McGrath. <laughs> what? Um, speaking of bands splintering today, I thought we could talk about, um, some solo albums yeah. people have made, um, some more questionable than others. <laughs> than others. <laughs> I like that topic, Tully. So, and these are all artists associated with, you know, pretty big bands. Um, and uh, mostly it, these will be people who, in the midst of their band's run, went off and did a solo thing because, as we know, um, you know, some band, some guys choose to be solo and ladies, other people have solo careers thrust upon them, you know, when the exactly. band breaks up or yes. if somebody dies, we'll get to a couple of those. Now, we, ha- we haven't discussed this yet. Off the top of your head, who's mm-hmm. the biggest successful solo act after coming out of a band? Just, just, oh, just free form. Uh, for, okay, top of my head. Well, I thought about this a little bit because of this. Uh, Sting is very successful. Phil um, Collins. Phil Collins. Bjork. Bjork is, is relatively successful. You know, relative to the, oh, the we're, sh- just ta- we're just well, talking about selling stuff. Well, I mean, Bjork, that that's a good one. Who became bigger than the band they left? Because Bjork obviously became way bigger than the Sugar Cubes. And it wasn't because the Sugar Cubes sucked. The Sugar Cubes are really are cool. amazing. Their greatest hits, top to bottom, are one of the, one of the best alternative acts of the eighties. Yeah, ex- except for that one guy. What the? That's a whole other show. Oh, what's his name? Claire or Klaus or something? I want to do a show. You must get to do a motocross. <laughs> I want to do a whole show that's like great bands that had one weirdly one bad weird, member. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I've got notes. You don't know how many notes for episodes. There's I've, a couple I've got... good ones off the top of my head. I, just I know. Like, I, I know. We to... won't spoil them good now. To, good topic. Good topic. <laughs> so, uh, most... so, yeah. So, you yeah. got the Sting. You, you got Sting. You've, you've got the Phil Collins. Obviously, became bigger after they left their superstar bands. And then, ironically, you have the Rolling Stones. Mm-hmm. Both Keith and Mick made records. Keith's mm-hmm. re- solo record I, I love, the mm-hmm. Expensive Winos. Um that did nothing relative yeah. to how big the Rolling Stones are. So I, I didn't mean to jump off your thing. I just no. wanted because I think people think we talk about this before we begin, which uh-uh. we do not. So that no. was my just stream of consciousness thought. No, do you know what? That's a great place to start because you mentioned the the Rolling Stones, and yeah, um, uh, Keith has done his stuff, and Mick has done his stuff, but they are not the only Stones. Oh no! Who have dipped their toes in solo <laughs> waters? Oh boy! I'm sure you uh, know by process of elimination who. This is. I like to cruise around. Wow. Listen to be the best dresser in my hometown. Like he was a he was blessed with a voice like me, huh? <laughs> knock every fancy pants off his feet. Little soundy. So easy to do. And I would What year? 74, I think. Cuz you are me as it's got a Ringo feel to it, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Notice the bass is mixed really loud. Yes. <laughs> Did you notice that? That's funny. He called all his friends. You know, he's got he's Billy Preston probably on piano. Yep, so that is uh, Bill Wyman. Bill Wyman. God bless him. Yeah, Do you hear how loud the bass was mixed. That's a good point. The funny thing is the you see all these songs are, are are terrible, but at a certain point things are neither good nor bad. They're just time capsules. Yeah, you're right. That is so locked into a time capsule right there that it, yeah. it, it was so bad when it came out though it had to be. Yeah, because imagine seventy four, seventy five. I don't think it did all, well. All that great T Rex, all that Ziggy stuff. Yeah, you know, and then 
I, I, how did how did that pass mix muster? How did Mick and Keith go, dude? Yeah, that's a great idea. Let's release that. And they were sort of in their their. Uh, well, would they have any say over Bill Wyman making a solo album? Ooh, I bet they would. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I, I I mean legally no, but I don't know. Maybe legally yes. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some bands I know where their singers can't go and perform their songs without the band there. Okay, how do you get that written in? Because I you, know you sign you sign a, you sign a deal. When do you, when do you make that decision? I I don't know. Every band does their own thing. Because there's certain bands empo- that, that wish they had that. Without a doubt, there's called employment agreements, employee mm-hmm. agreements. You know, and it's this is what happens when you're going to leave. This is what's going to happen while we're here. And bands usually get to that after you get successful. Yeah. Because some some smart guys figure out they're not as valuable as the other guy in the band. Yeah. And they put an employee employee agreement together. That seems like getting a prenuptial after you've been married for five years. It's sort of the same deal. It, it truly is. It's like let's let's have a let's have a divorce agreement in play. Yeah. You know, okay, someone wants to leave, but it's actually smart because people do quit and they quit on the on the you know impulsively, mm-hmm. and you're left like, wait, can we still use their trademark? Can we still carry on? And then that's why all these bands get these legal snafus. So obviously, Bill Wyman released that record. Do you know what that record was called? Uh, I do. As a matter of fact, I do. Hold on. It's uh, that is off of the uh, classic Monkey Grip. Monkey Grip. There's also a title track, which is equally wacky. And the music video is really fun because there's it, a video to it. Well, I don't know. It, you know, he was on Promo some, he was on some English TV show. And there's the girls doing the dance where they're like shaking one hand over their head. Gotcha. And then the I don't know what you call that. The classic Supremes, 1960s. Like, you know, shake, yeah. Uh, yeah, like this is the like most- Like the mashed potato or something? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> the most watered-down, TV-friendly version of what they thought the kids were doing when they took acid. Wow. You know? That's good. That's deep. And you know the you know the color scheme. It's like oh, pink, I know it so pink well. and orange right. and white. I know it so well, And dude. he looks like he doesn't even know that he's there. I don't mean in a drunk way. I mean in like, if you thought Oasis looked bored in their music videos, right. you got to see Bill Wyman selling his own solo record. Well, he was never the most active stone on stage. No. I mean, he literally was known for standing still. Yes. If you see the Stones video, he looks in the camera and doesn't even make an expression. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like dead eyes. So, like, look at Start Me Up video. He looks at... It's, yeah. it's insane. I wonder if that is on the Rolling Stones record label now. It, you know, because they well, have, it, ha- it has received a deluxe re-release. It, uh, do you know who it, it came out on? Uh, let's see. The Stones have been on so many labels, but that would have been Atlantic Records back in the early 70s. That's what the Stones were on back then. Um, it, well, it says here it is copyright 1974, Bill Wyman's Recording Archive. Gotcha. Yeah. I don't know what to make of that. I wonder if that was ever even a wide release or if that was just a uh, you know a vanity deal. I mean, interesting. Interesting. I wonder if it was even released in the in, in, States. In the States. At, Good at call. At the time, yeah. Yeah. Um, Interesting, though, man. Yeah. I didn't know Bill Wyman had made a solo record. So I was thinking about this pretty much sooner or later. If you're together long enough, somebody is, you're going to make solo albums. It's only natural. There doesn't even need to be acrimony, but so often there would be. Like, it's just really hard for four, five, three people who knew each other since they were teenagers to creatively and personally be on the same page at all times. Correct. And it might be a good way to blow off a little steam. I to think, say, I can see your songwriting is starting to go in blah, blah, blah direction. We all know that's not what the fans want from us, but yeah, you got to do what you got to do. We all know. You write songs. You don't really control what comes out of you. Right. If you get a good idea, you want to use it, go do your thing. We'll, you know, we'll take a break, and then and then we'll, we'll come back to this. I was trying to think of really big acts who have never, ever had anybody try anything on the side, and the only really big one- We'll get to them. 
the oh oh you're gonna I know what you're gonna do okay, yeah go. good it's good that is good it's great um well maybe we'll just do that next since we're talking about it but uh Metallica I'm stumped right now we, we can't include past members because Jason Newstead's doing a bunch of like country stuff now. No, 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 no. That would be you got to be an official member while you're there. Once again, I think a life of oh, I guess he didn't. Yeah, he he was not. He did quit. Do you think he regrets that decision? Now, did he quit? Yes. Or was he pushed out? I don't know. We don't know the band politics. Does he regret that? I don't know if he knows it, but yeah, he definitely regrets that. Do you know he lost by quitting Metallica? Two hundred million dollars. Yeah. Three hundred million dollars. Now I know it's not all about money, but it is at that level. (laughs) Let's be honest. Well, and it also is. There's um. I don't know, there's an economic term that's failing me at the moment, but $200 million is worth one thing to you when you have a billion dollars and when you have zero dollars. well said right there. And also maintaining a lifestyle. Marginal value, right? That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. yeah. I I think also he had a lifestyle and then, you know, you're sustaining that lifestyle off your salary and then he probably, you know, saved some money away. And then 20 years later, after not being a Metallica, He's got to be like, you know, not flush, bro. Mm-hmm. Do you know you know what I'm absolutely, saying? Like, absolutely, absolutely. Like once you, you, you know, people in bands forget, like, it doesn't keep coming in, you know, and then, but you or keep paying out, you know, and so when you start getting into your savings and you start sitting going down like a gas gauge, like, dude, mm-hmm. dude, that is scary times because you know there's nothing coming. There's no big reunion tour coming. There's, you know, you yeah, know, yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. Would you think, and, and by the way, when he did his solo thing, I legitimately liked it and nobody nobody cared. He, he already gave up on it. Yeah. It was called Newstead. It was good. It, it, was, re- it was heavy. It was good stuff. I it mean, really he, he's, he's doing country outlaw stuff now. Would he not, obviously you don't know the specifics of Metallica's finances, but would you guess that he is not. Has a piece still of Metallica? Just, just what he just being associated with Injustice for All in the Black Album? Yeah, I I don't know how much writing he did. I know it I took think, a while think, for him to become... None. Yeah, there you go. I know it took a while for him to be a full member of Metallica. Yep. I think he was only a full member for the Black Album. But that's a pretty good album to be a member for. Oh, without a doubt. No, no, he'd made a ton of money, bro. Yeah, Meat Love's doing fine off of one album. Meat Love's doing great. He's doing fantastic. And, and, and Black Album is is like a bad out of hell level. It, it's And it always will be. Yes. It's just, it's, I think it's at 20-something million. You know, it's ridiculous. And yes. if you have a couple points on that, you're going to live nicely. I mean, unfortunately, I think he quit when he thought, you know... I didn't think he envisioned streaming coming along 10 years later. You know, that's cut in radically mm-hmm. to his income, yep. certainly on royalties. Um, but I don't know what kind of deal they had in Metallica. You know, those guys are smart dudes, yes, you know. They are. Uh, when you leave, you leave. And I, I, it, it, it's interesting. I'm not sure. I don't know if Robert Trujillo is a full member of Metallica right, right. now. I mean, it took Ronnie Wood about 30 years to become a full partner sharing member of Rolling Stones LTD. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it, the, how the, many cigarettes did Keith bum off yeah, of him before? So, now, what else did he bum off of? <laughs> Ronnie, you held, mate. So, yeah, U2 <laughs> always comes to mind. I find it so interesting that Bono is this icon in and of himself in a way that James Hetfield is not. It's not at all. Yeah, James Hetfield is identified primarily. He's the singer of the band, but he's a member of a band. Bono is a standalone brand entity all by himself um transcending even you too and yet i'm not aware of him having ever done anything without the edge soundtrack stuff right nothing maybe he showed up in like uh, sang a duet with like frank sinatra oh yeah you know he did the duets thing but i'm not including that because that was someone else's project exactly his own project but it turns out largely forgotten i had to find this on youtube um yeah the edge did do a solo album Wow. In 1986. Wow. Right in the midst of stuff. Right. And it's nice. 
It just got so much taste and class. This is the soundtrack to a movie that was uh, a French and English release called Captive. I've never heard of it. I mean, it's and beautiful. So he uses this guitar effect called, I think it's... I think it's called infinite guitar. Is it a pedal or is it? It's his... something that probably makes your guitar just go into So he's pretty fond of that thing. So he actually collaborated with the guy who made that effect. Oh, he should have. I mean, he's, he's you know, it's funny. Everybody becomes you two after a while. Coldplay starts out as Coldplay, yeah, then become you two. Mumford and Sons has become you two. Yes, they've set the template of what you do when you once you have incredible fame when and keep it when there. you're playing arenas with taste. exactly right. So here's the fun thing. Let about me ask you a question though. about yeah. this though. This sounds like someone commissioned him to do this. This Maybe. wasn't this wasn't because it's for a movie. Mm-hmm. This wasn't like I'm going to go do a solo project. So I think Bono was yeah. okay with it, yeah. as opposed to being a threat to the you know the, the core of you two. Yeah. Do you agree with that? I, might, might well be. But I mean, this is prime time U2, and I'm going to go listen to this album. Um, this is lovely. It sounds like uh, it sounds like Dolores O'Riordan was singing. Or something. Well, it's not Dolores O'Riordan, but at this point, in uh, when he was recording this, there was an up and coming singer playing Nick Sinbad O'Connor in Dublin, and so Sinead O'Connor. Whoa, that's amazing! Isn't that nice? I like this. I know, me it's too. A very pleasant sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's if Enya was alternative. I love Enya. I do too. I fucking love Enya. Those two albums are unstoppable. And I'm so glad you say that because I'm looking for the irony in your eyes. I don't see any. I see it's, pure it's love. It's fucking beautiful. And anybody who says otherwise hasn't listened to it. Has, probably hasn't listened to it. And if they have, they haven't listened to it with an open mind and an open heart. Or, or it's focused. Great. Or focused on it's like just sat there. Great. It's not. Your it's mind. not new age music. Dude, I took XC once and listened to Caribbean Blue at a trans. I just got a little a little flashback. Did you get a little glow stick? I, I got just, just off of that. Caribbean Blue is one of the most enchanting, beautiful songs I've ever so heard. So glad in my it's this so is a great. safe nest for Enya because yeah. you know, I don't you. I mean, she's great. Yeah, she's she's amazing. She was supposed to. She's rarely. Uh, she ever plays live. Toured supposedly at one point. She was going to do a tour of old European cathedrals. Was this not that long ago, right? Uh, I think it was a. I think it was a while ago. I could be, maybe it came up more than once, and I don't think it happened. You know what? I always thought that she should do. Uh, I was raised Irish Catholic. Were you? Me too. Did oh. you go to church going? Oh, yeah. Okay. The music sucks dick, mm-hmm. right? I oh. always thought that Enya, like the only challenge that was left for her after making a perfect new age tinged, whatever you want to call what she does, Celtic, fantasy, blah, 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 a perfect album um, in um, Watermark, and then just making another one. Yeah. It's one of those, like, uh, I think of the Flaming Lips the same way. I don't even know what song is from Soft Parade and what song's from the one after it, because mm-hmm. they're just, they're one amazing yeah. album that right. split in two parts. Exactly. She should have, uh, she should have rewritten the Catholic songbook. That's actually incredibly insightful. That would have been- And a amazing. great idea. And her songs would have lived for hundreds of years. Oh my god! I didn't think about that. Think and she's super this. Christian. She's like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. She's, she's not just Irish, so we're assuming. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I think it's almost smart never to have toured that thing because yeah. you could never recreate that. She did play on the Tonight Show. I've watched the video she a couple did? Of times. It's, it sort of cheapens it. It must be tracked to the moon and back. Well, there's five million Enya's going. Ah, yeah, so there's a bunch ah. of breathy. Yeah, a bunch of. What are you going to do? I mean, how are you going to tour it unless you're going to have? There's not a lot you can do. And oh, there's somebody who went solo from a successful. There, she had some success in a band with her sisters called Clanad. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow, mm-hmm. Clanad was big everywhere but here. 
Is that so? Much like Enya? Yeah, exactly. Much like- Actually, Enya was huge here. Yeah, yeah, At yeah, Triple but- Platinum Records, you know. Yeah, but Orinoco Flow was like, uh, uh, I always held that, that was one of the things that cemented my conviction that Americans were never going to get it, that uh, Orinoco Flow was like a number one song everywhere in the world, and here it was an iced tea commercial. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it got a little run. Oh, but Carib- <laughs> Caribbean Blue was huge. Yeah, yeah, That, that yeah. was a big song. It's a great music video, too. Yeah. It is. Um, okay. I'm so I'm so happy that, you know, because sometimes when I throw a band at you, I don't, no, you know, because no, no, you have no. such a good poker face, you know, it's like I have to wait until I see your eyes. You know, it's also circumstantial. I have often wished that there was a drug, and I know it is kind of just ecstasy, that could make me appreciate every kind of music and every piece of music as much as it can be appreciated, which is to say you love some band that I hate and you can just listen to it and get off to it. And I mm-hmm. listen, I go, dude, I just do not fucking get it. There's something there. I'm just not connecting to it. There's music it's that's subjective. Though. There's music that's bad. Oh, but yeah. then there's music that I just don't connect to and a drug that made me connect to, to everything, to everything, because I can tell you the circumstances of what was going on in my life and who I was hanging out with and what have you that made when Enya was presented to me on a silver platter. If it had just been some thing that, you know, all my friends are making fun of it, I don't know that I would have been open to it, and I would have been the one that, that lost that out. missed there. out on that. That's interesting. Yeah. So you have that, the outside influencer of that uh, effective on you in terms of liking something. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Who doesn't, you know? Yeah. I, you know. I, so many things are- Because me, I don't look at, I don't, there's no uh, guilty pleasures in, in me. I've never understood what guilty pleasure meant. I don't. I don't. I like music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but it's not so much a guilty pleasure. It's that, um, okay, like no, I- but If you like something your friends yeah. didn't like it, you'd have to sneak off and listen to it. There, I would be blasting Backstreet Boys and, yeah. uh, you know, Wawani if I wanted to. I don't you know, know what Wawani is. My love and me, we're sugar free, or P-A-S-S-I-O when that's- Your your band, your, your singles from 1459, I yeah. associate with the summer that I spent when I turned 21 in Santa Barbara, and I don't think I would like them if I had just been If doing... you didn't have that moment. But it was, it's it's part of a time, and it was very Southern California music, yeah. and I was first time I was living in Southern California, and- uh, uh, We people, trade nostalgia now, dude. A lot of people are very offended by uh, Two Weeks by Bare Naked Ladies. It was out at the same time, and I-, I One I, week. Uh, isn't it? It's oh, been no, it's one, one week. week. Maybe it might be two weeks by now. It's been a while. <laughs> oh, hey! Still be two weeks till we it, say we're sorry. I don't know. There's... It's been one week. So it's, a look, it's called One Week, yeah. Is it? Okay. I play it every day on my show. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your word for hey. it. What is your feel? What is your take on the Bare Naked Ladies? I don't know anything by them other than that song. They're incredible live. I've always been. I know when they came out, like they were not new. They already had a reputation for being kind of like a more accessible. They might be giants. Oh, very well said, and a, and a perfect <laughs> example of that. And obviously huge in Canada before yes. you know. And really good songwriters. They're guys that are super super talented and love music. They're music nerds, music fans, that you have to be super talented. They do such a great version of Another One Bites the Dust live. Go look, Google, Google it. It's great. And the drummer comes out and sings it, and Ed, the guitar player, goes back and plays drums, and they just, and it rips. And it's just, it's it's done as a love letter, and it's cheeky, but it's funny, and it's perfect. And it's one of those things, when, when novelties aren't done well, they're boring. They suck. You know what I mean? It's, it's like karaoke. Uh, someone's bad for 10 seconds, and you wish the song was over. You know, but they they really do it well with uh, with the wink of the eye, and then sometimes there are songs that are just plain bad. Mm. Um, and uh, back to the questionable solo albums. Yes, <clears throat> I don't want to tell you anything about this. I think this is. Am I going to get it off the tone? Uh, no, or is no, it like no. A drummer no. singing or something. If you get it, it'll be because one time 
somebody said to you, dude, have you ever fucking heard this? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I think- There's no clues at all. It's so remarkably what it is that that might have happened to you at some point in your life. <laughs> it's a Rip Taylor record. In the beginning was the rhythm, but I had forgotten and was waiting for the word. And then it's going to go on like this for a little while before. Is it a drummer solo record? It is not a drummer solo record. It is a band who uh, is one of those ones who had soloness thrust upon them. It was no longer possible for the band with whom this guy rose to fame to perform. Gotcha. So someone passed away. Yes. Someone died. Famously passed away. Is it a uh, is it a member of the Doors? It is a member of the Doors. It is, and it would have to be Robbie Krieger. No. John Densmore. It's not the drummer. This is. Will we see him? Will is that Manzera? I don't know who's singing, but this is a Ray Manzera solo album. Check out the cover on The Golden Scarab. Wow, he was deep into that. You ever hear him speak, man? He was into soliloquies and like Greek mythology. And he always spoke in these like. Wow. Yeah, his face is. That sounds gold. like someone familiar singing, though. It sounds like Elvis. Yeah, there is a little bit of uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, he, he tried to make something mystical and timeless and set in the ancient deep of mystery. and Like Jim Morrison would have, but he wasn't Jim Morrison. Via Las Vegas, with yeah. The lyric. Did that come out on a major label? Because I imagine all these major labels gave them an extra chance. Oh, you know? my God, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. We, we don't, you know, Doors are, are, you know, Jim is unfortunately no longer with us. Ray's got a solo record. We'll give it a shot. I would think so. Well, and didn't the the way that I understand major labels at the time just making that was not the golden age that kind of preceded it, but so much money, profit margin so, much money. so high, people just got it was deals. a tax write off. People got deals because they were buddies with. That's people. right. You're, you're entirely right. So why wouldn't bu- why wouldn't Ray Manzarek get a major label deal without a doubt? Just so somebody could have a drink with him. Right. Exactly. Good. Good point. Good point. Do you know Ray Manzarek uh, produced the I believe first two X records? You know the Los Angeles punk band X. I think I did know that X is another band that I wish I could get a chip in my brain to appreciate. Like oh, everybody else you know, you weren't them. from L.A. They they are such a Los Angeles band. You know, not not to be, not to be a coup because they have a song called Los Angeles, but they they you know, and also K Rock. We've, we've talked about this a million times. K Rock was the arbiter of anything cool in Southern California. So we have a steady diet of the X material of their catalog, not just a couple select few songs that you might have saw on a late night on on, on an MTV. Mm-hmm. You know, not just Blue Spark or something like that. There's so many great X songs. Uh, they're one of the most seminal seminal bands. I wouldn't be surprised if, well, probably because of what you're talking about, they're not going to be the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but they should be in my book. I think they could be because I think that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame loves X. Well, and just kind of likes to have tasteful flair. Yes, Yes. You know? Yes. There's the there's the couch you buy for your house, and then there's also just the little thing that you got on vacation that you stick on the wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's the shot glass, which is Def Leppard, and then there's the couch, which yeah. is X. Do you, what do you think of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as an institution? Do you oh. hate it? Does it make you angry? Do you care? I guess I've gotten over being angry about it, but I just remember literally when they announced it, Saying, well, how do you get to decide who's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? What is this? This is a joke. This will never stick. 
this is this is going to be like a, a Planet Hollywood, right? This will be a big thing that has, is launched with a lot of fanfare, and they'll be selling it for parts in five years, and everyone will be writing stories about you know, remember that Don Winter yeah. tried you know hubris, what have you, and then it's uh, I've compared it to our uh, the U.S.'s financial system, which is no longer backed by gold and is therefore just if we all believe that our dollars are worth something, <laughs> then it's there, then they're worth something. Beautifully said. As long as People show up and go, oh, it's just, you know, I always thought maybe I could get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but now that I'm really here, well, now it is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I'm not offended by it, and I'm not weird about them putting hip-hop people in there because that's just smart business sense. That uh, you know, they, they see the writing on the wall. They're, they are um, only 10 years behind the tide of the Super Bowl. Yeah, you know, which just kept rolling out rock yeah. legends and right. ran out of rock legends. Right. Well, the same thing happened to the to the rock hall. That's really so. that's a good good point right there, man. You know, um, and, and it's funny how the bands don't care to be in there until they're close to being in there, mm-hmm. and then they really care. Because let's, let's 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 be honest, that is the the final accolade for a band's career to to cap it off. And I know most band that's not for every band, but in terms of what you think is a superstar band, that's the final tip of the cap to your history. Yes, you were a yes, you made it. Yes, you were important. You're in the pantheon. to rock and roll. Right. Yeah, you're in the pantheon of what is of, of, of excess of yeah. commercialism uh, of of stardom. And yet I've heard that there are a number of like more marginal acts that might have lobbied or what have you, or just you know said their prayers that they would get in because they thought that they would see a bump in their touring as a result of getting in and supposedly there's literally no rock hall bump there is zero uh, residual effect of being in rock and hall of fame. that's what i've heard and that's why a lot of them i don't think to- i'll ever know totally so <laughs> <laughs> well um this next questionable solo artist is certainly a member of the rock hall i'm sure although he would have been inducted posthumously okay Joe Cocker. There are places oh. I remember all my life. Though some have changed. This was on late life. That's an well old man's better. voice right there. I mean, it's David. It's, it's, it was and it wasn't. It was done late in his life. Sounds very Bowie, but it's not. These places have Is it Mick Ronson? No, it is not Mick Ronson. It's a good guess. lovers and friends, I still can recall some are dead. Off of the album living. Two Sides of the Moon. Oh, um, uh, Sid Barrett? Keith Moon. Oh, Keith Moon. Sorry. The drummer of The Who just thought it would be fun to sing one time. I thought he had a better voice than that because he I think sings. he did too. Because <laughs> he sings a lot of backup in The Who yeah. live. Well, maybe just, he had a tone that that worked well with the others. Maybe. They said he got very frustrated. This was the. This the, makes me sad hearing this. I know. I love Keith. I'm, I'm getting emotional. Here. Yeah, you yeah, know, it is very, very melancholy. Um, They said it was the, the prototypical mid 70s rock and 
rock and roll Los Angeles excess of, you know, record for a half an hour and then so-and-so shows up and the blow comes out. That and sounded you know, like that. Recording is done for the day. The John Lennon lost weekend years. It's like it's Nielsen, all, Keith Moon. If you were to kind of diagram out who was doing what for who and who was on whose session at this exact same time, right. it's all mixed up in that. And yeah, John Lennon may have been involved with that. that sounds like that. He goes to New York and kind of a neat era in a way because oh, yeah. it's the hangover it's the hangover it's the uh you know people were having fun they were in suits they were dancing and this is like this is the hangover the la we're rich we've got more money we're starting to get fat yeah you know what I mean? we go to dantana's we have like dantana's no but you know what i mean we, we have lasagna yeah, and then we have a three-day coke yeah. binge you know yeah. yeah and chicken parm at dantana yeah. uh that's what this is this is a coke hangover which is amazing because the piano sounds so great i mean i was played by probably well, leon guy, russell yeah or that guy might have been sober yeah no but but it was you can tell the musicianship is great there mm-hmm. and that is keith moon Hungover, probably at 6 p.m., you know, with that, 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 that cigarette, whiskey, Coke voice. Yeah. You know? Well, and they said that he but would, he was, he was breaking, there was like a line of sort of, it sounds like sort of track lighting um, in the recording booth or recording studio. And he was just systematically doing takes and then getting angry at his inability to sing in key and just busting light bulbs one by one. So the studio just got darker and darker. Wow. Yeah. Symbolic, man. Yeah. And then that was what? What year did that come up? I'm not sure exactly what year that was. It's, you know, 74, 75. I think he died three years, three within years three years that. of that coming That's what out. I was wondering. That sounds like an old man. And Keith Moon was what, 38 or 9 when he died? I don't know. I don't know anything about The Who. Dude, get to know The Who. Is that another one of your, yeah, I, guess I, I have to hate this because I don't outside to, influences? I don't have to hate anything anymore. I want to love, I truly want to love You're all. You're a dad music. now, man. You can cry now. It's okay. <laughs> Did I ever tell you about the time I tried to explain the lyrics to my hometown to my wife and started bawling? <laughs> but I'm from New Jersey, so I can do that. When was this? Was this five before two, kids or after kids? Two years ago. Yeah. Once you have kids, you start crying. You you know. That's I've always start- been. I, I I'm I'm very into music. Um, music and movies are. Uh, I'm a cold-hearted son of a bitch outside of them, and I think that music and movies are my way to kind of to vent to that. express your your emotions. But but you just told me there's outside influences that will influence whether you like something. I think or not. everybody has outside influences that influence. I used to be a hater, and I am the furthest thing from it. But Spotify has actually been cool for me, but also disappointing. More disappointing than anything in this regard that. I go back and I go, let me really give those guys a shot. And I'm like, I just... What are you missing about The Who? Such a diverse catalog, so much great music, such a well, de- such a deserving rock and roll band of your adulation. What's what am like, I missing? What's the best song? I, I, I can't even say. I don't say. like my generation. I don't like... You really don't. I mean, and I'm not a gig- I'm not a Who stan. Yeah. I, just, I just appreciate... Can you appreciate The Who? Can we go there or you just do not appreciate The Who? I don't like if it's. I guess if I if you it, okay. I get bummed out by music. If I'm in a store that has music on that I don't like, I kind of want to get out of there. Changes your mood. Well, because you're a, I just, a music I re- fan. I really yeah. I can't like I can't really passively listen to music. So if I don't like it, it kind of kind of bothers me. If I come to your house and you're playing the Who, like that's fine. But that's about as far as I can. <laughs> he won't leave right away. That's about as far as you, I you can. You better, go. you bet. Like even the older stuff. Like oh, that's cool. I like that. It's a great song. I prefer. I'm just telling you my. But Pete Townsend truth. solo records. At, I would rather listen my to. Love open the I door. would rather listen Ooh. to "Let My Love Open the Door." Rough boys running the street. I mean, that's good stuff. I don't know what that is. That's that's uh, Pete Townsend solo. That's Empty Glass. Okay. That's a follow up to uh, 
Um, Let my love um, open the door. Ooh, love that stuff. Oh, Half wait, a big cut. Time already? Wait, what the hell's going on here? Already? No, no, no. We got like five minutes. Okay, here. That's half a big country, by the way, on a solo record. But Oh, is it? Yeah. Drummer okay. the bass player. Well, now that you tell me it's big country. Okay, now I'm trying to get you there, bro. <laughs> step by step. Step okay. by step. Here is a solo. I love that Keith Moon, Keith Moon pull. Good one. Thank and you. I'm bummed I didn't get that. I should have got it. Yes, I'm it's easy. That's Fred Mercury. Yeah. That's Fred Mercury. What's that voice, this is. Did they win? I think so. Are they the best band ever? Oh, do they win that? And I, 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 I always don't really say like that. listening to Queen, dude. <sighs> Bro, I'm, trying, can't I'm not. I'm not even a Queen stan either. But what are you talking about? And I'm such a glam metal. I'm such a glam person. Everybody name dropped and name dropped and name dropped, and I listened and I listened and I listened, and I just don't really connect to. Any what about other songs you're my person. best friend? That's such a beautiful yeah, nice. piece of music. That's nice. I just don't connect to any of it, you know. I'm never, I'm never in the mood for Queen. You've seen the Live Aid '85 performance of Fred Mercury, right? But many people consider the best 25 minutes ever performed. Oh, I'll defend if we're talking about the best frontman of all time. He's got to be in the, he's got to be in the conversation. If I'm not sure who beats him, I think he's probably the front runner in that conversation. I'm with you. I just and I like Brian May. I think Brian May's cool. Do you know Queen are one of the only bands that each guy wrote a number one song? I didn't know that. Yep. Each guy by himself wrote a number one okay, song. Okay, so John Deacon's got another one, Bites the he, Dust. He wrote, he, and My Best Friend. Oh, I didn't know that. Yep. Okay. Because I love, yeah, the bass player wrote... Dun, 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 oh, yeah, he had to write that, right? He's yeah. like, let the bass player get some. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I'm surprised that you're, you're, you're missing the Queen love and the Who. I, I'm, I'm, I'm I don't shocked. Like, I don't like classic rock. Uh, let me ask you something. Uh, I, now, I don't, I, I don't sit there and have a Queen poster in my room and a Who poster, but I like these bands. Mm-hmm. There are songs that I like by them. Yes. Now, I've asked you a couple songs by both these artists, and you said, yes, I like those songs. Mm-hmm. I think we're in the same boat, which is different semantics of how we're looking at these bands. I never choose to listen to them. I don't either. Okay, well, then you don't like The Who either. No, but they come on, and I go, oh, yeah, my love, open. I like that. Oh, and, when and, I like it. And happy, like, I can't happy explain. When... You don't like, like, a, 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 just no, great I prefer. I prefer the Scorpions version of Can't Explain. <laughs> Can't Explain. Have you heard it? <laughs> of course. You it's kidding me? fucking great. It was a hit on Can't like, out here. Was it? Oh, yeah. I like, think that's the Scorpions' best song. <laughs> well, then you like the Who, dude. Well, no, I don't like the Scorpions. <laughs> you like the Scorpions, dude. I don't I really, I really, do. I really don't care for the Scorpions. I mean, I know. Can't I, Explain I, is definitely, a, oh, my good. It's oh, like it was can't made. Can't Explain. It was made. I used to hate that when people, it was like if a hair metal band covered a song. Like Wasp did. Can't you see the real me? Remember Wasp did who's Okay, song? wait, I'm going to write that down. Because that's another one we can do is hair metal bands covering. Covering classic or, or hey, covers. Yeah, people yeah. always say that they ruin them, and I just don't. No one's going to want to listen to this, but have you heard Kick Tracy's version of Mrs. Robinson? I have not heard that. Uh, do you know what? I hadn't heard because I don't like classic rock, and I know you know Simon Garfunkel isn't rock, but- But you love hair metal. I had never heard the original. I didn't know I was listening to a cover. Well, Kick Tracy, were they from Florida? No, nah, they were consummate LA. They were consummate. They were produced by uh, Dana Strum. From, Dana Strum. I think Shlo- uh, yeah, I think he's Vince Neil's band his... right now. Oh, speaking of covers- uh, Molly Crew's cover of uh, Anarchy in the UK is is unforgivable. It's terrible. Yeah, it's unforgivable. I'm starting to think Molly Crew might not have actually been very good. No, 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 no. Stay with me. Me and you have had Crew talk before. <laughs> crew was great. The first album was very, very yeah, good. amazing. All their records are great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More uh, when you when you look back, m- more sins than the fans maybe remembered, and less redeeming stuff than we thought. 
That's all I'm saying. You mean Motley Crue might not age as well as, I mean, they might not get into the classic rock world. Like Stone Temple Pilots immediately welcomed in. Pearl yeah. Jam immediately welcomed in. Motley Crue. I don't think they would ever be. They're not on the Led Zeppelin station. I don't think that they would ever be welcomed in, in there. Just that when it, when it comes down to it, they had one good album. Two good, mm. two good albums, two good albums, and about four good songs after that, and that's pretty much the Motley Crue yeah, experience. That's, that's, and and a pretty, a fair, and a, a fair pretty, assessment. And, and they were a good video act, right? And you can decide and a fun much, band to go see. Live. You can decide how much value you put on that being a good video act. Well, made my career so. <laughs> uh, we gotta go, but we'll do this again. Already, soon. come yeah, on, I dude! We'll I just again. get warmed up. You are Mark underscore McGrath. Thank you, Tully. MarkMcGrath.com. Hit me up, man. I love hearing from you guys. By the way, with these Tully shows, it's really fun. 